Many of you may have heard of the uh, week, almost week long, I think it was a week, uh, revival experience that took place at Asbury University in Kentucky uh, just a few weeks ago. Started out as a normal chapel service that extended for uh, five, six, maybe even seven days um, as people stayed in the chapel service and just continued with uh, with songs and with prayers and, and messages, um, and people kept coming and going, and it turned into uh, this nationwide, maybe even international experience as people traveled wanting to be a part of this revival. And as this was happening, as you might imagine, um, there was a lot of commentary about it, uh, particularly from people who weren't physically at the location, but maybe wanted to offer their thoughts as to why it was happening, why it was continuing, what was going to come out of it. And and like many things, uh, you got a lot of different sides. But the thing that, that stood out to me kind of was um, how much of the armchair commentary was going on. And by that, I mean people who seemed to know for certain exactly what was happening and why and um, the worth of what was taking place. Uh, Pastors, of course, professional theologians, seminary professors, everyone kind of offering their two cents um, as to why this was even happening and how significant any of it was. And, And it reminded me how so many times we as a society, as humanity, when something uh, incredible is happening, at least incredible to certain folks, that many of us can kind of sit on the sidelines and give our uh, point of view as to what's really going on, whether people want to hear from us or not. And to some extent, uh, there are institutions kind of built around this. Uh, Things like seminary, uh, which is where you have to go in the United Methodist Church and a lot of different denominations to be an ordained uh, elder or deacon or pastor. Um, you have to go through uh, institutional education to get all the knowledge that you need uh, to do what you feel you have been called to do. And even after that, or even during seminary, you also in the United Methodist Church go through what is called the Board of Ordained Ministry. And this is able to articulate and profess what it is that you are learning and growing into so that you are deemed um, certified and eligible and, and actually called to be in the United Methodist Church as a pastor. Um, I did this, of course, I went to seminary. I even did the district version of Boom, so the, the district committee on ministry, and that's where you start. You start in the district, and then you build up all the way up to the board. Um, and in fact, even Jeremy is on the board of ordained ministry as one of the laity, um, which is super, super helpful. So it is important. Um, these institutions, these organizations are ones that I went through personally, that I learned from, that I grew and was very helped and supported. Um, so they are, are important. But I can also say on the other side of that is that you get a lot of stuff put on you, um, that you, whether you realize it or not, you actually take with you um, and maybe hand off to someone else whether they want it or not. Um, so we can admit that sometimes we get overburdened with trying to articulate, trying to specify, for example, who Jesus is. I mean, that's kind of part of our call as as Christians, as disciples, right, to say who Jesus is so that others may hear about him and maybe have a similar experience. And so we can sometimes take that, or at least I can take that very, very seriously, maybe even sometimes too seriously, telling others 
what they are supposed to think about who Jesus is. And we know all these phrases, you know, imagine this and that and this and that and don't forget this and you need to include this. Make sure that you reference this and make sure that you don't say this. I mean, that's kind of the experience that we go through in seminary, sometimes even in boom, so that when we are prepped and ready to go, we have all of these things uh, memorized that we do and we don't do. And then we get to pass it off to all of you. Here's what you do. Here's what you don't do. Here's what to believe about Jesus. Here's what you shouldn't believe about Jesus. And and part of that is good. But at the same time, we can get so focused and caught up in those mechanics that we lose the reason why. We may even forget in the midst who Jesus even is. Because as I was thinking about this, as I was thinking about all the voices that tell us who Jesus is and what we're supposed to do as, as Jesus followers, it made me wonder, does, does Jesus himself say any of this in the Gospels? Does he say any of this kind of stuff to the people he encounters on the way to the cross? So as we see an example of this, I want to invite us to hear a story from John chapter 9. Now what's important to remember about John, about many things, is that one of the things that the story, that the gospel really emphasizes through and through is that Jesus is God incarnate here on earth. So that everything that Jesus does, everything that he says, all the people he helps and reaches out to, this is the incarnation of God among us here on earth. That's why Jesus says over and over, I am. I am the light. I am the bread. I am the vine. This is God in our midst. And so this is one of these stories where God incarnate encounters one of us. Now, as we do this, I invite you, if you wish, to close your eyes. And trust me when I say you will know when it's time to open them. Walking down the street, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. He spit in the dust, made a clay paste with the saliva, rubbed the paste on the blind person's eyes and said, go, wash at the pool. The man went and washed and saw. He saw. Soon the town was buzzing. His relatives and those who year after year had seen him as a blind person begging. They were saying, why isn't isn't this the man we knew? Isn't the man we've seen over and over the man who sat and begged? They asked, how did your eyes get opened? He said, a man named Jesus made a paste and rubbed it on my eyes and told me, go and wash. So I did what he said. And when I washed, I was able to see. So where is he now, they asked. The man said, I don't know. So they marched the man to the Pharisees. The Pharisees grilled him again and again and again on how he had come to see. He simply said over and over, he put a clay paste on my eyes. I washed and now I can see. This is the Jesus he has met. Not the one that others have told him about, not the one that he has read about. 
the one who approached him, the one who said, I am, who took dust. The dust of the earth, the dust of creation, and he spat in the dust. This this holy spit, the spit of the divine, rubbed the two together and he made something new. He made something beautiful out of the dust. And then he takes that beautiful dust, that holy mud, and he lays hands on a man who has been ignored and untouched his entire life. And something new happened. He was able to see. This is the Jesus the blind man encountered. Who is the Jesus we've encountered? Not the one that we have been told about. Not even the one that we have read about. Who is the Jesus we have met who makes sense to us and who gives us life? Do we feel like we can answer that question Honestly. Or do we fear that our answer will be rejected? Some of the Pharisees said amongst themselves, obviously, this man, just Jesus, he can't be from God. He doesn't even keep the Sabbath. But others said, well, how can a bad man do miraculous God revealing things like this? And so they all came back to the blind man. Give credit to God. We know this man, Jesus, is an imposter. The blind man said, I know nothing about that one way or another. I don't know anything about this stuff that you're saying from the sidelines. I don't know anything about whether or not he's from God. I know nothing about whether he is the Messiah or a prophet or a nut or a basket case. I don't know anything about that. All I know is is this, I was blind, and now I can see. We are able to know so much these days with everything that we have access to, all the events, all of the channels, all the websites, all the commentaries, all the talking heads, everyone and anyone talking at us, yelling at us sometimes, what it is that we are supposed to know, what it is that we are supposed to think. And so in the midst of all of this stuff, who is the Jesus we have actually encountered? Who is Jesus Christ to you? Years ago, back when I was in college, I remember the first uh, Easter sunrise service I attended um, after I left home. I came back and uh, we had a... um, Outdoor service like our church has, and it was at sunrise. I was not crazy about that, but I got up and went with my parents anyway. And at the time, my younger brother was in youth group. Now, for whatever reason, because it was the 90s, I guess, um, they were really into miming the gospel. Now, when I say miming, I literally mean they would dress up as mimes and they would act out scripture. Youth group, I don't want you doing this, okay? I don't know why they did it. I still don't know why they did it, but um, 
they decided to act out the Easter story in mime. So everybody is in the back. They're getting ready and they're going to act out the, the Easter story, beginning with the crucifixion. So they, they get ready and, and, you know, there's music playing in the background. And of course, they're mimes, so they can't say any, anything. They have to act this out. And so they start bringing up Jesus. You know, they, they stand as the centurions, as the, as the crowd. Everybody gets ready to bring Jesus up to the center. Now, we're sitting in rows kind of like this. There's a, there's a middle aisle and I'm sitting on the outside. So like right here. And this is like six in the morning, so I'm not really awake. I'm, and I'm wondering, mimes, I, what is going on? But as they bring Jesus through the courtyard, as they bring him up to the front, I turn around and I notice that my brother is Jesus. And they actually have him tied to a cross. And when I say tied to a cross, like his hands are actually tied to a cross as big as him. And they're, and they're bringing him up. And of course, this is spring, so you know, there's, there's dew on the grass, and it's a little slippery. And as my brother, i.e. Jesus, is, is approaching the court, Golgotha, literally as he passes me, he slips. He slips on the wet grass. And he almost falls. He slips, and he almost falls. Carrying the cross on his back. And he does it right in front of me. Now, I don't think he noticed that that's the exact spot that it happened. But for me, that is the day that I encountered Jesus. And it is the day that I realized and I understood this idea of grace, both communal and personal. And this is why I love our theology of grace so much as the United Methodist Church, because on that day, I literally encountered what it meant that Jesus loves the individual and that Jesus loves the people. Because I realized, much as John Wesley did on that night, his heart was strangely warm, that if Jesus does this for me, then it has to be for the entire world. And if it's for the entire world, that has to include me. That's the Jesus I encountered that early morning when my brother slipped on the grass carrying the cross. That's the Jesus I've encountered. As a church, we want to help you to encounter Jesus. What that means is we cannot do it for you. Nor should we. We should help, but it is not for us to say who Jesus is for you. Because it would be easy, it would be so easy to stand up here and say, this is who Jesus is supposed to be for you and for you and for you. But if we don't know for ourselves, then our exploration, our Our discovery, our walk, our commitment, our relationship, it's not really to Jesus, it's whomever has done that for us. And the other thing is, it's okay if we're not able to say yet. It's okay if we don't really know. It's okay if we're not for sure. 
Because this should be the place where, and this should be the people with whom we can ask those questions. Because the truth is, we will feel blind sometimes. We will feel blind and lost and tired and alone. And some days, we'll feel like we're done. Like we're just done. This should be the place, and these should be the people we know that we are safe with, and we can share our story. The time and the way we did discover we could see. The blind man doesn't care if anyone believes him. The blind man doesn't care if he's recognized. He, he doesn't care if he's punished or rewarded for what he says, whether he's believed or ridiculed. He doesn't care because he can see. Because he felt those hands placed on his eyes with holy mud, with beautiful dust, and something new happened. Something new in him happened. And for him, that was enough. We want to hear from you, from each of you, who the Jesus is that you have encountered. We want to know what that means to you. Because when you're able to share the story of who Jesus means to you, that helps us to see Jesus even more. And that turns from not just how you see Jesus, it turns into something beautiful. It turns into how we see Jesus together. And so as we continue this season of Lent, as we continue to remember who Jesus encounters on that way to the cross, how has Jesus encountered us? How does Jesus continue to encounter us? Your story is a story we need to hear because it strengthens us as a congregation, as a community, as all of us journey together to see who Jesus is and to share that. Everyone's story is important. Know that the way that you encounter Jesus is a story worth sharing because we always come back to this table. That's why it's open. And everyone's journey is worth sharing because when we share our story together, it makes us that much stronger as a congregation. That is what people in our community need to know. Not for us to tell them who Jesus is, but for us to help so that they can encounter Jesus for themselves. So let us go to keep that table open and to know that the story we share is a story worth telling. And may we go in peace. Amen.